Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're going to jump right into the series here that we've been in uh, on the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. I haven't said it in a few weeks, so I'll say it this morning. Uh, I, I truly believe that this could be the, the, the most effective uh, uh, impactful series that we've ever done as a church family because in these letters this is Jesus's message to the local church this is what the local church is doing wrong this is what the local church is doing right so these messages are vital to us as the local church to, to see Jesus's heart and his message towards the local church so uh, last week uh, we talked about the church uh, of Sardis. Now, uh, Sardis was the church that by all outward appearances, they looked alive, they looked healthy, they, they were thriving, they had uh, amazing attendance and programs, you know, everything looked awesome, yet it's one of only two churches in Revelation that Jesus looks at and he says, I've got nothing positive to say about you. Uh, he says, you, you have a reputation for being alive, but actually in your heart, you're, you're dead. Now, any of us, like I said last week, we would, if you say something is dead, that means it's over. But uh, in Jesus, when he says something is dead, the next thing he says, so this is what we're going to do next because he has the authority, the power over life and death. So that was last week, the church of Sardis. Uh, today, we're moving on to the next letter. Uh, it's the next to the last letter. So next week will be the last Sunday of, of this series. Uh, and it's the letter to the church of Philadelphia. Uh, and it's just like the Philadelphia that you're more familiar with. It means the city of brotherly love. Uh, it comes from the Greek word phileo, which means uh, brotherly love. Now, the name was given in honor of a man named uh, Attalus II because of his loyalty to his older brother, who was the king of uh, Lydia at the time. Uh, and Philadelphia, if you'll put the map up, Greg, is only about 25 miles from Sardis, which we looked at last week. Now, the close proximity, it's number six on the map. Uh, so the close proximity to Sardis, it's pretty amazing when you consider the stark differences between these churches and the messages to the churches because they're kind of right up the road from one another. Uh, uh, but where Jesus had nothing good to say about Sardis, we get to Philadelphia, 25 miles up the road, and he actually has nothing bad to say about Philadelphia. Philadelphia is one of only two churches alongside Smyrna who received no correction in the letter. They only received commendation and encouragement. So I have, I think, one picture uh, from the city of the archaeological remains of the city. Uh, and it's kind of blurry, but these are two, two pillars here uh, in the city. The reason that this is basically all we have uh, is because uh, it... Uh, uh, has a city on top of it now. So there, there's an existing city where Philadelphia used to be, uh, and they're, for some reason, opposed to bulldozing their houses so that they can excavate. So kind of selfish, but whatever. Uh, but what, one of the most important features of Philadelphia was actually its, its geographical location uh, on that map because it's located on a main highway, and not, not just any main highway, but it's located on this highway where all of the other highways in the area converged. Uh, so as such, it was a trade city, and it was a very wealthy and a very influential city. Uh, and because it was where all of these highways converged, uh, it, it was given the title, The Doorway to the East. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down, The Doorway to the East. Uh, and the reason for that is because anyone in this region who was traveling to the east had to pass through Philadelphia. 
So you've probably heard the saying that all roads lead to Rome. Their saying would be all roads pass through Philadelphia. Uh, And again, this plays a very significant role in their history, but also in the letter that Jesus sends to them. So we're going to read that letter together. It's Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed you before an op- placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those uh, who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on the name of them, uh, on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So uh, we're going to kind of take a a line-by-line approach this morning uh, to this this passage, Uh, but what we're going to see right away is Jesus introduces himself in a way specific to that church, in a way that specifically connects with that church. So if you remember back with the church of Smyrna, uh, the church who uh, was severely and intensely persecuted Uh, They risked their life to follow Jesus. To that church, Jesus introduced himself as the one who died and came to life again because they were risking their lives to follow Jesus. So in the introduction, he said, uh, I am the one who has the authority over life and death. But don't miss this. Now we're at the church of Philadelphia. It's the church that is dubbed the doorway to the east. So Jesus introduces himself as the one with the key that can open any door and can also shut any door. Uh, I don't know if God has ever dropped a mic, but this would be that moment for him because the pride of Philadelphia is that they are the door that everyone must pass through to get to the east. So Jesus says, that's nice. I'm the one with the power to shut any door. Your pride is that you're the door that everyone passes through. I'm the one with the authority that could just shut the door if I want to, and that'll get your attention pretty quickly. Uh, verse 7, let's, let's just, just look at verse 7, Greg. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Now th- this phrase, the key of David, it's almost verbatim from Isaiah chapter 22. And Jesus again uses a similar phrase in Matthew 16 where he talks about the keys to the kingdom of God. Uh, It's a phrase that is used to describe the one who has the authority over the city or the authority over the kingdom. So Jesus is saying two things of himself as the one in authority. He says, as the one in authority, I am holy And I am true, holy meaning I am set apart, I am different from anything that you have experienced, and true. Now, the the, the New Testament, it uses two words uh, for true. One of them means I'm true, not false, and the other one means I'm true, not fake. 
I'm genuine, I'm authentic. And that's actually the word that Jesus uses here is that I'm not fake, I am authentic, I am uh, true, and I I am genuine. And again, this would have significant meaning for the residents of Philadelphia because while their city was perfectly located where all of these major highways converged, it was also located right on top of a fault line. Uh, And what that means is uh, this city is constantly dealing with earthquakes, uh, earthquakes that would uh, sometimes flatten the entire city. Uh, But as a Roman province, uh, it's kind of like in America, really, when there's a a major national uh, natural disaster, usually the president will come and he'll look at the area. The same thing actually happened in this time period. If there was a massive disaster, the Roman Empire, the Caesar, uh, he, he would come and he would look over the disaster because they were a Roman province. Uh, so uh, in 17 AD, uh, 17 AD, there was a, a massive devastating earthquake that leveled the city. But Rome came to the rescue and they said, we're going to help you rebuild. We're going to help you uh, get this, get this uh, back going again. And they were so appreciative that for a time they actually renamed the city of Philadelphia Neo Caesarea, which means the city of Caesar. Uh, however, a, a similar earthquake uh, again occurred around 60 A.D. So this is about 30 years or so before this is written. Another earthquake occurred. Uh, and again, the Roman em- Empire shows up and they say, hey, we're going to help you rebuild this. Uh, we're right there behind you. But in this instance, Philadelphia gets their hopes up. You know, they're so grateful. But Rome actually never comes through to help them rebuild. Uh, Rome doesn't follow through on their promises, and Philadelphia is left to kind of figure things out on their own. So Philadelphia, they're, they're constantly in this place where they have to depend on outside authorities to sustain them. They have to depend on outside authorities uh, who sometimes they would keep their word, and sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they'd come through, and sometimes they wouldn't. But Jesus says, in reality, I'm the one with the key to the city here. I'm actually the one in authority and the one that you should be turning to. And as that authority, you should know two things about me. First of all, I'm holy. I'm set apart and I'm unlike every authority that you've known over this region. And second of all, I am true, I'm trustworthy, and I'm faithful because these people probably had a bad taste in their mouth from the Roman Empire who said, we're going to help you rebuild. And then they never heard from them again. Jesus says, even when you can't see it, I have complete authority over every situation. I can open any door I want. I can close any door I want. Uh, And where they experience these other authorities that maybe they'd come through, maybe they wouldn't, Jesus says, I am true and trustworthy in every situation. Uh, Now, we're only at the introduction of the letter, but uh, just as I'm praying and studying, uh, even this morning, I felt like uh, we've reached a point in the message now where for some of you in here, this is what you came to hear. You came to, to, to be reminded of who is in charge of your situation. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't obstacles in your life. There are obstacles in your life that I can't relate to, perhaps, that I don't know about. But I don't have to know what you're going through specifically to tell you who the ultimate authority is in that department. Because whatever the situation that you are going through in your life The ultimate authority, the one who has the key of David, who is holy and true, the one who can close any door, is Jesus Christ. And this morning, I I just want to remind you if you're going through that, turn to Jesus. Uh, 
Paul wrote to the Philippian church, don't be anxious about anything. That's a lot easier said than done. But he said, in every situation, with prayer and petition and even thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, get rid of that, that moniker that says, uh, when all else fails, pray, and start beginning by prayer. Now, as we move on in the letter, uh, he continues with this play on words with the city, this, this doorway to the east. So in verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. So first, Jesus says, I can open any door I want. I can shut any door I want. And then in the next verse, he says, and I want you to see. I want you to behold. That word means I want, it's actually an instruction. I want you to open your eyes and see that I have opened a door for you. Uh, if we go back into the history of Philadelphia, what we discover is their location on the convergence of all these highways. It's not a coincidence and it's not an accident. Uh, actually, uh, Philadelphia was built there because the Greeks saw an opportunity. Uh, if, if you've ever been in real estate before, uh, what are the three most important factors in, in real estate? Location, location, location. So the Greeks saw this location where all of these major highways converged and they saw an opportunity. So they actually built Philadelphia with a specific purpose. They built it for the purpose of spreading the Greek culture, almost like evangelizing the, the region with Greek culture. Uh, they, they built these extravagant temples to all of their false gods. They made these beautiful and majestic buildings, so much so that it, it became nicknamed Little Athens because there were so many magnificent buildings and temples in this area. The idea was all of these wealthy and in, uh, influential individuals who have to come through here will see how awesome we are with our Greek culture, and they'll take it everywhere they go when they go back home. And because this agenda was push Greek culture and push Greek gods and push paganism, because of this, Christians were ostracized and Christians were marginalized and ultimately they were persecuted. Now, if you remember back in Smyrna, when Christians were being persecuted, God's message to them was simply, be faithful even unto death. But here in Philadelphia, they have this culture that pushes idolatry and it pushes wickedness and false gods, uh, and they're being marginalized and oppressed and persecuted, not to the extent in Smyrna, but they're still being persecuted, many being put to death. But to this group of Christians, God has a very unique word. His word to them is, I have placed before you an open door. What in the world does that mean? Uh, whenever it's possible... Interpret Scripture using Scripture. Interpret Scripture using Scripture, and that's what we're going to do. Because three times in the New Testament, Paul uses this terminology of an open door that God sets before him. And all three times he uses it, it has the same meaning. So we're going to look at two of them very quickly. In Colossians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may... Uh, proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The open door is a reference to an opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, this happens again in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 
uh, Paul writes, uh, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. And Paul, again, uses this terminology in 2 Corinthians 2.12, where an open door is a reference to opportunities to share the gospel. Now, if you go into the context of the, these passages in First and 2 Corinthians, both times when Paul talks about these doors that have been open to share the gospel, uh, on both occasions, they were not in Paul's plans. Paul was actually in the middle of something else when he is interrupted by these open doors, but he's willing to let his own plans to be, to be, inter be interrupted so that he can walk through the door of ministry that God is calling him to. But I want you to see some, something else uh, in that 1 Corinthians passage. Uh, if you want to put it back up, Greg. Uh, he says, God has opened up this great door for effective work. And then he doesn't say, unfortunately, there are many who oppose me, so I can't do it. Uh, he says, there are many who oppose me, but I have to stay here and do the work. Paul recognized that, that opposition to the gospel, it's just a part of the open door. Uh, and this actually perfectly mirrors the situation in Philadelphia because in Philadelphia, the people, they, they viewed the city, uh, the doorway where everyone would enter and they would be influenced and informed by Greek culture and idolatry. Uh, and there was this great opposition towards Christians. Yet God says, I want you to open your eyes. I want you to open your eyes and see that I have set an open door before you. Don't look at this culture where sin is so prevalent and say, I wish I didn't have to live here. Because God says, open your eyes and recognize this is why you're here. I, I think of the woman at the well where, where Jesus ministers to this woman. Uh, did, did I have John 4, 3, uh, uh, 35, Greg? Uh, where he ministers to this woman that no one else wanted anything to do with. And then the disciples come back and it says they're just surprised to see him even talking to her. And he says, don't you have a saying it's still four months to the harvest? But I tell you, open your eyes and look. The fields are ripe for the harvest. The, the Greeks thought that this city was so strategically located to spread Greek culture. But Jesus says, let them think what they want. It's actually strategically located to spread the gospel. I think of Pergamum where Jesus said, this is like the city where Satan has his throne. But he says it as a compliment. He says, I'm proud of you for living out the gospel in a place that is so evil. And it doesn't mean that there will be no opposition uh, opportunity does not mean that there's going to be a lack of opposition. Jesus says, open your eyes and see that the doors for ministry are all around you. I, I think if you're in the schools today and you find it hard to be a Christian in the schools, that's because it is hard to be a Christian in the schools. And it, it, what it means is you have an open door. Anywhere where you look around and you, you see evil and, and you see Oh, so many things being shoved down your throat in our culture. You have to support abortion or you're evil, and they shove it down your throat, and you turn on the news, and they're shoving culture down your throat, and Christianity, they want to marginalize. What God would say is, I don't want you to escape America. I want you to see that this is an open door. 
Uh, on to verse 8 again, he says, I know your deeds and see before you I have placed uh, an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now Sardis, the church we looked at last week, they would have been a church that had great strength and Jesus had nothing good to say about them. And the reason for that is Jesus is not looking for brute strength. Jesus is looking for faithfulness. Uh, Even in the church, it's so easy to measure success by attendance or programs or tithes and offerings or outreaches. Jesus simply says, I measure success by faithfulness. And maybe you have limitations on what you can do and where you can go. Maybe you don't have a big platform. None of that matters when it comes to faithfulness. No one can take away your faithfulness to God. Jesus said, be faithful in the small things. Uh, On to verse 9, he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Again, this is not a reference to all the Jewish people. This is referencing uh, a specific group of Jews who who played a large role in the persecution of Christians. Uh, And I love the promise that Jesus makes here. He says, they're going to acknowledge how much I love you. If you go back to the the church uh, of Ephesus, the first first church we looked at, kind of the theme of that was, I need you to love me more. I need you to get back to a place where you love me more. But we get to this church, and he says, they're going to see how much I love you. And and I think, again, of uh, what Isaiah said, where where, uh, the the day's going to come where they call evil good and good evil. And you'll be called evil if you haven't already for following Jesus Christ. And I I just, I kind of, I look at this promise and I believe that there's a day going to come where Jesus is going to show people who have told you, you're not a Christian. You don't love God if you don't accept this and that. There's going to be a day where Jesus shows them how much he loves you. Uh, On to 10 through 12, we're going to kind of speed through the rest. Uh, Renee, you can go ahead and come. He says in verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon, so hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. So this is a, a very significant passage again uh, for, for several reasons. One is because there were so many earthquakes in this region that they are constantly having to evacuate. So they know what it's like to be coming and going and coming and going. And Jesus says, uh, there's going to be a day where you're in my presence in my temple and you never have to come and go. You're just in my presence. Uh, not only that, but... Uh, they're not allowed. The Christians had been kicked out of the temple, out of the synagogue. So Jesus says again, there's a day where uh, they can't shut the door if I open the door. If I want you in my presence, you're going to be in my presence. Uh, But I love what the the promise he makes here. He says, uh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Because uh, if you go back to that that picture, Greg, uh, again, it's kind of hard to see, but They've been through earthquake after earthquake after earthquake in Philadelphia, uh, and everything has crumbled except for the pillars. (laughs) They've been through storms of life and, and everything this world can throw at them, but the pillars are still standing in Philadelphia. 
And I think this is the promise that Jesus is making to, to them is, come what may, you will be a pillar in my temple. You will be rooted and grounded and anchored in my temple, in my presence, never to be removed. And he goes on to, to, to finish that passage. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of my, uh, heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Uh, I think if we take just, just the letter as a whole to, to Philadelphia, uh, what we find uh, is a church who knows suffering on two levels. They, they know physical suffering so well and they know spiritual suffering because uh, probably everyone in Philadelphia has experienced loss from these massive earthquakes. I mean, this is 2,000 years ago, and we know of these earthquakes in our history books. Uh, you know, we're talking hundreds, thousands of people dying, family members lost. They, they know suffering so well. And they're going through all this physical suffering, and then they have to deal with the, the, the spiritual persecution on top of that. Uh, and, and Jesus is saying to them, just hold on. Just, just continue to be faithful to me in this. And he makes all of these promises because of their faithfulness. Can you stand with me, church? Two things as we go into to sort of a, a response time here. Uh, one is, is if you were in that place where maybe you've turned everywhere for a solution and today you need to turn to the one with the key of David. Could you close your eyes, church? And, and if you're in that place and you say, I'm hurting physically, I'm hurting spiritually, my marriage is hurting, my finances are hurting, and I don't know where to turn. Uh, could you just lift your hand in the air for just a moment, just, just to, to acknowledge and I just want to pray for you. Lord, you see every hand and you see every heart. You see every situation that, that I can't see. And where it looks like authority lies with the bank or with employers, we recognize this morning that all authority belongs to you. So this morning we turn to you and we cry out to you for salvation. And for all of us in here this morning, I pray, God, that we would open our eyes and we would see the open door before us. As Renee leads us, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak to your heart, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Because for some of you, I believe there's an open door, but your eyes have been shut to it. So my prayer this morning is, Holy Spirit, would you, would you come in this place and would you reveal to us the open door that's been there all along, that we would see it and walk through it.
Lord, we invite you in this place. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.